open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And open your wallets. Just kidding. Just kidding. See that pain that some of you just felt? That's what we're talking about tonight. Oh, man. Money. Maybe we should just talk about politics instead. Something safer. Matthew chapter 6. We're near the end of Matthew 6. Verse 19 through 24, we'll read together. And then we'll pray. And when we pray tonight, my prayer for all of us is that God would open our hearts to see how Jesus' teaching on money should penetrate us. Because we live in a very affluent society, in a very affluent part of the world. Our life is very different than the audience of Jesus. And yet, at least for me and for a lot of us, when we talk about these things, we read this passage about money and we think, yeah, I'm, I'm probably good. I'm probably doing this right. Yet I wonder if Jesus did have a word for a certain culture, it would probably be us. And so let's open our hearts tonight as we pray. But let me read this, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray together. Father, tonight, beyond lifting our checkbooks to you, we lift up our hearts. We pray that if we are numb or cold or terrified of this issue of you wanting to get inside of our financial planning or you wanting to get inside our lifestyle or you wanting to get inside our generosity, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you have to say for us and to us on this issue. Beyond being generous people, Lord, we pray that we would be people who loosen our grip on, on finances and stuff and worldly things and money and the kingdoms of this world. That we would fix our eyes on you instead. That you would show us what it really means that we can't serve God and money. And show us where we are serving money. And show us where we're not serving you. And show us how we might leap out in faith and cling to you when everything in us screams that we need to find life in the abundance of our possessions. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're willing to sacrifice, and you can get a clear vision of what you're looking for, and you submit your entire life to the process, you can be rich. That's, I think, what sums up the entirety of all financial planning that you'll ever hear. 
Have you ever heard of the, what is it, Mr. Money Mustache guy? Have you seen that guy? Have you seen that guy, Mr. Money Mustache? How many of you ever heard of, like, Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, all right. Mr. Money Mustache? You guys got to get on Reddit more. Mr. Money Mustache. Uh, these, these are these financial planners people who they all tell you the same thing. If you are willing to sacrifice... If you have a clear vision of what you want and you're willing to submit your whole life to the process, you can be rich. Dave Ramsey has a seven-step process where he tells you if you choose that you will live like no one else does now, you will live like no one else does later. The Total Money Mustache Guy, it's a fun video if you want to Google that. Total Money, no, Mr. Money Mustache Guy, his whole thing is that if you decide that you'll make sacrifices... Sell your car, ride a bike for a short period of time, right? That you'll buy, you'll downsize your living situation. That you'll find cheap ways to eat. If you can just sacrifice and you're willing to sacrifice and you set a goal that I will retire by the time I'm 35 or I'll retire by the time I'm 40 years old and you just submit your whole life to that goal, you will be rich. You believe it? It might be true. And Dave Ramsey's a pretty smart guy. And Dave Ramsey's seven steps. Get $1,000 in the bank so you've got some buffer. Then start paying off your debts. And he teaches you how to do the debt snowball, right? It snowballs the debts and they're gone. Then you save up a three-month expense emergency fund. And then you, you start uh, doing something else. Step four. What's step four of Dave Ramsey? Who's the Dave Ramsey guy out here? Step four is that you start saving 15% of your income towards retirement. Then step five, you start figuring out the ESA thing for your kids for college. Step six, you dump your money into paying off your house. And step, step seven, you're rich. You can do it. Now, these things sound like those get-rich-quick schemes, but hey, maybe they're tried and tested and true. But regardless, anyone you talk to, you go to a financial planner. I went to a financial planner a couple of years ago because I realized I don't have a lot of money and I got a lot of kids. How am I going to do this, right? So <laughs> the guy says, well, I'm a financial planner. I'll tell you if you're uh, really going to be in the poorhouse someday. He said, you're fine. We live in America. You're not going to starve. You have a job, right? And he said, here's what you got to do. You got to make some sacrifices. You got to set some long-term goals and focus your eyes on those goals. And if you submit yourself to the process, you will be not rich. He said, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> Sacrifice. Set your goals and submit to the process. That's what you'll hear from any financial planner. Dave Ramsey, money mustache man, uh, or my financial planner. Same as these guys. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus steps into the financial planner space. He takes off his prophet hat, and he opens up his financial planner Excel spreadsheet, and he says, let me give you some advice on the best way that you can make use of the resources that you have. And he doesn't say, here's how to be rich when you're 30, or here's how you're rich when you're 60. He says these words, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and Thieves break in, do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have a hard time with Jesus as financial planner. <laughs> we like Jesus as sage, you know, Jesus as spiritual advisor, Jesus as God mentor, but 
Jesus as financial planner, that's not comfortable for us, right? Like, Jesus, you need to focus in on the areas where you have expertise, our relationship with God, and let me figure out what I want to do with my checkbook, with my wallet, with my credit cards, with my school loans. Let me figure that out, Jesus. You do the spiritual stuff, and I'll do the money stuff. Or maybe Dave Ramsey can do it for me. Jesus, please stay away from this part of my life because I don't like what you have to say about how I should live. And Jesus says, I'm not just sage, I'm Lord. And I want control over every aspect of your life. I want control over your finances. I want control over your sexuality. I want control over what you do with your spare time. I want control with your everlasting soul. I want control with how you live and breathe on this earth. I want control over your friendships. I want control over all things because I'm not just sage, I'm Lord. And here's what I say to do with your money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When I first became a Christian, I was a high schooler, and I had a part-time job, and I made like, I don't know, $400 a year or something. Not a lot of money. <laughs> a little more than that, but not too much money. And the good thing about being in high school is you don't really have any expenses, right? This was like before cell phones. I think my cell phone was like this big and cost me like, <laughs> I paid 20 bucks a month for zero minutes. That was my actual plan on GTE Wireless when I was in high school. And I had a little car that was like worth $5 that was paid for. So I had to pay for gas. I had to take my girlfriend out. I wanted to buy new speakers for my car. And that was it, right? And so the 400 bucks a month or a week or whatever it was that I was making actually went a pretty long way. And I had a guy in my life, an older guy, who was not a believer, but he was a mentor to me. And he asked me, hey, what do you do with your finances? You got some expendable income, what do you do with it? I said, well, you know what, I don't have a lot of expenses, and so I give the bulk of my income right now, not like the majority, but a lot of it I give to the church, because I'm a Christian now, and I don't know, I got my Cheez-Its and stuff for the rest, like I don't have that many expenses, so I just give a lot away, and he said, hey, that's, that's admirable that you would give money to the church, that's a good thing, I know you're a Christian, or you say you are, or whatever, uh, he said, but let me, let me put it this way. The church doesn't really need your 40 bucks. <laughs> you know, like, it's not really going to make a dent in what they can do up there. You're in high school. You're not making that much money. But if you take that same amount of money every week and you put it in a Roth IRA for yourself, and you start doing that, you commit yourself to the process. You, maybe you'll make some sacrifices along the way, but you keep the goal. I'm going to put this money. I'm going to max out my IRA. If you start doing this now at 17 years old, by the time you're 65, you will have millions and millions of dollars. So you can give a ton of money away when you retire. But you need to think, right now, if you invest in the future, you can give to Jesus or whatever, he said, later. And Jesus' advice seems very different. Don't focus on storing up for yourselves treasures in this world, but focus on storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In one way, Jesus' advice is diametrically opposed to the basic foundation of all financial planning, which is here's how to store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Here's how to have a million dollars when you retire. Here's how to have a way that you can live comfortably someday. Here's how to store up some treasures on this earth so that you're set. And Jesus says, eh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures on earth. On, in heaven, on one hand, they're diametrically opposed. But on the other hand, Jesus' financial advice is exactly the same as Dave Ramsey's. 
His financial advice is exactly the same as that old guy you mentored me. It's exactly the same as Mr. Money Mustache. Jesus' advice is don't spend now. Store up for later. Uh, The only difference between Jesus and Dave Ramsey is the later is a lot longer in the future with Jesus. He says, spend your money now, not on yourself. Spend your money now, not when you're you're 65. Spend your money now on the kingdom of God. Devote your resources now, not on you, not on your future, not on the kingdoms of this world, but look into the future, past retirement, past death. Look at the future, future, and devote your resources today to building real everlasting wealth in eternity. The same advice, just with a longer timeline. Now, there's nothing wrong with retirement. And the Bible, the Old Testament talks about the, the blessing that comes from being able to give an inheritance to your children, that wise stewardship is important, that God has given us resources, and it's not for us to just rely on other people to always care for us when we get old, that we need all that stuff. It makes sense, but what Jesus is saying is that when we invest our lives in something, we should be looking a lot farther than when Social Security kicks in. We should be looking into the kingdom of God, which starts and never, ever, ever, ever ends. Why do you think we push back so hard against the biblical teaching on money? Is it too hard? It's one of those things that is just uncomfortable. There's something in our hearts, right? When you come to a church and you hear they're talking about money, you're like, I don't want to go to that. Some of you get really mad when the church talks about money. And we say, every time we talk about money, we say, Jesus talked about money more than everything else. And you're like, I don't care. I don't want to. Why? Why do we care so much? I think it's because our hearts are really, really, really strongly connected to our wallets. That's exactly what Jesus says. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, present tense, is where your heart will be, future tense also. So there's two meanings that this can mean here. Either what Jesus is saying is where your treasure is now, that's where your heart will be someday. So it's kind of like if you played StarCraft or something. How many of you ever played like StarCraft, WarCraft, one of those games? Looking at this area over here. Very good. Okay. Very good. It's just me. You got a character on the screen. You got to go click somewhere on the screen. And wherever you click, your character starts running to that area. So maybe what Jesus is saying is you throw your money out ahead of you and your heart will suck to that area. That where your treasure is now, your heart will be someday. So that if you want your heart to be set on the kingdom of God, you start throwing your money at the kingdom of God. Because where your treasure is, your heart will suck to that place. We talked a little bit last week about this fasting discipline, how God has called us to cultivate practices in our lives where he cultivates this hunger for him, this insatiable desire to be connected with him. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. You devote your, your resources, your finances, your stuff, your whole life to kingdom purposes, and your heart will be transformed into that space. Maybe that's what he's saying. The other possibility is, is where your treasure is, where you find your treasure, that's where you'll find your heart. So when Jessica and I were dating, when we were in college, and we'd be out doing stuff. We were always together, and my friends would try to find me and call me, and my phone would be off because we'd be hanging out. And so then inevitably, they'd like call my house. I had a house phone. Back in the day, you had this phone in your house. You'd plug it into the wall, and it was called a house phone. And 
And my buddies would call the house phone and then ask my mom, hey, Mrs. Strange, where's Danny? And she'd say, I have no idea where Danny is. And she'd say this, she'd say, well, maybe you should call Jessica because wherever Jessica is, that's where Danny will be. Okay? I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So what that means is that if you look at if you want to know where your heart's at, you're like, God, I don't know the, the culture, the condition, the fervency, the desires of my heart. God, tell me, is my heart for you or is it for other things? Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart is, go look and where your treasure is. Where you find the treasure, you'll find the heart. It's kind of scary to do like a checking account audit. It's like, God, can you show me through my expenses where my heart's at with you? Will you show me, God, as I look at my budget, the percentages that I'm giving to different things, can you just, God, is this an indication of where my heart is? We talked a couple weeks ago that when we look at it, we probably spend like 30% of our income just on insurances, Social Security, life insurance, car insurance, homeowner insurance, umbrella insurance. If you were to use the treasure test, we would say, well, you know where our heart is? Security. I'm spending a huge amount of my resources making sure that I'm set, that I'm safe, that if I die, I'm okay, that if someone hits my car, I'm okay, that if someone hits my house, I'm okay, that if someone hits my umbrella, I don't even know what umbrella in search is, but if somebody hits, <laughs> my trampoline blows up, I'm okay, right? And so if you looked at, at that, you'd say, well, Danny, his, his heart is, he's really concerned about being safe and secure and independent and free. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. If you did that audit, what, what, would, what would it show you? You decided to look at your expenses and figure out, okay, God, what does this show me about my heart? Some of us would be scared to do that. We start making these excuses. Well, ha, it's so expensive to live in the Bay Area. Cars are a lot of money. I got, blah, 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 right? And we're terrified of what this might mean. Maybe there's something to that. So maybe we need to take that other meaning of the text and say, you know what? Maybe, God, if, if my heart is not for you, where can I put my treasure so that my heart will follow? Maybe that's giving to the church. Maybe that's giving to organizations like Barnabas and Partners. Maybe that's like we talked about a few weeks ago, going to the bank and saying, God, give me some money out of my ATM that I might give to someone in need, a single mom or someone who is without a home or in a tough time. God, show me. Give me eyes to see where these resources can go because, God, I want my treasure to go in a place that I want my heart to go. And I want my heart to grow in its compassion for the hurting and for the lost. And I want my heart to be broken for the things that break your heart, God. And so I'm going to invest my treasure to where I want my heart to go. Because you tell us that where our treasure is, there also will our heart be. Our treasure and our heart are very closely connected. And if we believe these things, it starts to change the way we look at the world. Jesus puts it this way. He says, your eye, it's, it's like the lamp of your body. And this was not a new way of talking about the eye. People in the first century believed that what an eye was was really like a light, that light emanated from your eyeballs, like cyclops or something. And that the way that human beings saw, this is before modern science, right? the way that people, human beings saw is that light would come out of your eyes and it would hit stuff and illuminate it. And so if, if, if I'm blind, what happens is there's no light coming from my eyes, like Cyclops' battery's dead or something. And so, so close your eyes right now. It's dark. Right? It's like the light bulb got turned on. And then you open your eyes, and you can see again, like the light has been turned on. And Jesus says, the eye, it's the lamp of your body. 
If your eye is good, if, if you can see well, if your eyes are bright and clear, your whole body's full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body's full of darkness. When Jesus would encounter blind men, he would describe their situation as being living in darkness. And he would relate that to our sin nature, that before we know Christ and our eyes are open, we're living in darkness. And then our eyes are open and we come into the light. And Jesus says, when your eyes are good, your body's full of light. When your eyes are bad, your whole body's full of darkness. Everyone understands that. And and then he turns the corner and says, and if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. And this double entendre starts to emerge in the text where Jesus, his audience has realized that he's not just talking about blindness, he's, he's talking about money again. That word bad, if your eyes are bad, it's, it's an, a word that can also be translated evil. And there's this idea of an evil eye, a bad eye, a malicious eye, this way of leering and looking at the world where you're stingy, you're not generous. This evil eye concept exists in a lot of cultures, almost every culture in the world, not in ours, but in in South American cultures, in African cultures, in Mediterranean cultures, in Asian cultures, there was this idea of this evil eye that if someone had a lot of wealth and you looked at them with this like jealousy or disdain, that your wealth, your own wealth would like be taken away from you and given to them. It's like this superstition called the evil eye. Don't be jealous about people who have money or you're going to lose your money. Jesus says if your eyes are bad, if your relationship with money is bad and what you're looking at is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. He says this issue of finances is critical to your well-being. It's like he's saying if you focus your attention, you focus your eyes on the kingdom of God, and you align your eyes with kingdom purposes, and you look at the world through the lens of how God wants us to look at the world, and, and we're generous and we're not stingy, and we have a healthy view of money and resources, and, and our eyes are singular in focus, and we fixate like a tractor beam on the kingdom of God with our eyeballs, Jesus says, your whole life will, life will like catch on fire, like full of light. And some of us have experienced that. You go to a conference or you come to a church service or you spend time in the Word and it's like you see the world in a new way and it's like this fire that's in your soul and it's starting to rage and as you focus on this thing that God has for you, it's like your whole body gets fired up about the gospel and the kingdom of God and then you walk away from that moment and you look away and start looking at the things of this world and all of a sudden that fire starts going out. Have you noticed that? You come back from camp. You start hanging out in real life and checking your texts and going on Facebook and doing your homework and all those things that come with real life. And it's like that fire just gets choked out. It's like Jesus is saying, if you can fix your eyes on the right thing, if you can look at the kingdom of God with, with purpose and resolve and look at it, your eye is connected to your heart and your whole body will explode with kingdom purposes. But when you look away and look at other stuff, When you start looking at jet skis, like we talked about, right? When you start looking at what you want to spend your money on. When you start daydreaming about amassing wealth for yourself. When you start getting captured up by the things of this world and you look away from the kingdom of God and your eyes become more evil and angry and looking at the wrong things. There's no light in those things and it's like the fire gets choked out and our bodies get dark again. 
And then we come back to the Lord and we look at him and the fire starts again. And this is good. Then we go back into the world and it dies again. Then we look back at the Lord and our, our bodies get fired up again. Then we go back into the world and it dies down again. And we think, God, is there something wrong with me? Why is my life like this all the time? I wish it was just like this all the time where I just grow and grow and grow. Jesus says you can get to a place where you're growing when your focus and your view is very singular on, on me and on my kingdom. When you turn away, it just dies. It's almost like Jesus isn't trying to make us poor. He's trying to give us life. Focus on my kingdom purposes. Stop holding your wallet in one hand and the Bible in the other and saying, If you can develop a singularity of focus, your life will catch on fire with the kingdom of God. Jesus tells this parable about the seeds. Remember that one? He says a farmer goes out to sow his seed, and some falls on rocky ground, some falls on the path, some falls among the weeds. And he says the weeds come up, and they choke out the seed, and the plant starts to grow, and then it dies. And the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him, well, what did you mean by that? What did you mean by that seed that grows up and gets choked out? And Jesus says, well, here, here's how it works, is that a seed starts to bear fruit or bear root and grow, but what happens is the weeds come up around it. He says the weeds are the worries of this world, and oh, it's on my phone. I'll tell you what it is. I want to tell you it, right? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It chokes us out. And as you start to grow in your faith, all of a sudden, all the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, if I just had money, I'd be happy. If I just had money, I'd be fulfilled. If I just had more stuff, I'd be better. If I just got that thing and we get choked out in our spiritual life. Dies, he says, you need a singular focus. It takes sacrifice, but you need a singular focus. And you can be alive and not choked out by things in this world. The lies that riches tell you. We can go out and try to do that, but we're all going to mess up, right? God, I'm just going to be focused completely on you today. That lasts like an hour. Now, this week, I don't care about money anymore. I'm giving all my money away. So, no, I'm not giving all my money away, right? And you kind of start becoming like that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments? Obey them. He's like, I, I do it. I follow the Bible. And Jesus says, well, you, there's one thing you lack. Sell your possessions, all of them, and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the Bible tells us that he went away sad because he was of great wealth. We don't have a singular focus. Our eyes are like two different directions, right? <laughs> Jesus stuff, Jesus stuff, Jesus world, Jesus world, Jesus me, Jesus me. And you're the only person who ever had the resolve that God calls us to is Jesus himself. You know, Luke chapter 9 talks about Jesus doing his ministry up in Galilee. And then there's this turning point in Luke 9 where Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And from that moment on, it's like this tractor beam that takes him 10 chapters to get to Palm Sunday. But the whole time it's like Jesus is resolutely walking towards the future that God has for him. He has a singular focus. He's focused in on the, the future God has for him, which is the cross. And he goes after the cross, and he dies on the cross. He raises from the grave with a singular focus. 
And he was the one with the singular focus. And we don't have it. And the author of Hebrews tells us that if we want to succeed in the Christian life, it's not about trying really hard to do it, like pulling us up by our bootstraps or whatever. He says, here's how you do it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that here was Jesus' secret, that Jesus, even though he was of the very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, made himself nothing, and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. If we're going to succeed in this, if we're going to learn how to have that narrow, singular focus and sacrifice ourselves to grow in our relationship with Christ and see him do amazing things through the fruit in the kingdom that we build, it's not going to be by trying real hard to do it. It's going to be by submitting to him. Jesus tells us at the end of this Matthew 6 passage, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And I think a lot of times we look at this issue of God and money, you think, okay, okay, I'm going I'm to master my finances, right? Or I'm going to get mastery over my spiritual life. Jesus says, listen, it's not about you becoming a master. It's about you realizing that you're a servant, you're not going to have mastery over your money. Your money has mastery over you. Like, no, it, it does. And you're not going to get mastery over your spiritual life. You might let Jesus have mastery over you, but that's how it works. Jesus says, let's just be honest with the state of the union. You either serve God as a slave to him, or you serve money as a slave to money. And if you look in your text, you see money is capitalized. That's because Matthew here is using the word for the idol mammon, which was this term that meant this fake God people worship that we call money. Because money is not a tool that you use and you master it. It is your God. Or Jesus is. But it can't be both. There's no such thing as Jesus is sage and Dave Ramsey as financial planner. Not that there's anything wrong with Dave Ramsey. There's no such thing as Jesus as Lord over my spiritual life, but me being Lord over my financial life. That's not how it works. You can't do both. It's impossible to do both. You either serve God or you serve money. You either hate one and love the other, or you despise one and you're devoted to the other. That's how it works. That's, that's honesty. And if you're trying to figure out how you might use Jesus to get your best life now or you have, can work in this relationship with Christ so that he'll make you rich, your God is not Jesus, it's money. There's so much Christ Christianity out there where people say, give your life to Christ, he'll make you rich. That's idolatry. That's the money God. Remember the recession hit and churches filled. There's a pastor who said when he was asked on TV, why'd your church get so big when the recession hit? He said, easy. The money God died last week, and people are looking for a new one. We worship our money. We worship our money. Let's be honest. We worship our money. Jesus says, are you going to worship me? Are you going to worship money? I'm not a means to get money. I'm not your genie to give you stuff. And I'm not your God on this side, and money's your God on this side. It's one or the other. It's like Elijah before the prophets of Baal. 
says, listen, how long will you hobble at the crossroads? If Yahweh is God, serve him. And if Baal is God, serve him. If Jesus is God, serve him. If money's your God, serve it. Go after it. Go get rich and then die. And if Jesus is God, cling to him and pursue him and run after him and then live. And don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It doesn't make sense. And store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. If we want to cultivate a life where we grow in our relationship with Christ and we lessen our grip on money, here's how you do it. You take sacrifice. You need to have a singularity of focus. And you need to submit your whole life to that goal. It's the same gospel as the Mr. Money Mustache gospel, as the Dave Ramsey gospel, as my financial planner's gospel. It's just a different God in the center of it. It takes sacrifice. It takes singularity of focus. But ultimately, it's about submission to the God of the process. It's not about working real hard. I, I don't know what that means for your checking account. I don't think, I honestly don't think what Jesus wants you to do is, well, give all your money away, give it to the poor, and then have treasures in heaven. I, I think Jesus uses phrases like that to show us that we really worship God, not him, or the money God, not the real God. But what does that mean for us? I think, first of all, it means that we let go of our grip of stuff. I think, second of all, it means that we open our eyes to see that there are a lot of things in this world that tractor beam us into them. You walk around the neighborhood, you start looking at everybody's landscape, you think, oh, man, if I can just, I want a yard like that guy. I just need like 80 grand, and then I can hire a landscaper. I got to work hard. I need a second job, right? You see a car commercial, and you think, I, I need one of those. I'll be happy if I have that. One of the ways we know that money is our idol is, is when finances are good, we're happy, and when finances are bad, we're sad. It's kind of idolatry works. When your idol's giving you the stuff you want, it makes your heart happy. When your idol's not giving you the stuff you want, it makes your heart sad. That's why it's great to worship God, because he's always good. And when times are hard, he's always good. And when money's down, he's always good. And when times are up, he's always good. And when you're in sin, he's always good. And so you have this joy, this inexpressible joy, because no matter where you're at in life, your God is the same. And there's no recession, right? There's no up and there's down. Our God is the same. And so all of these ways are things that we can use to be a barometer to us. So Jesus doesn't give us the action point. He just says, let's be honest. You can't have two gods. There's no such thing. The God is the one who reigns over you. There's no such thing as the two who reign over you. And who's the one going to be? Tonight, as we move into communion, it's a time for us who believe in Christ to remember that we have one God above us. And he's not a God who just stands there and waits for us to get our act together. He's a God who humbled himself and made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to a death and death on the cross. And Jesus says, this bread is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That your singular focus in life is consuming Jesus. And not consuming like a consumer. Not consuming cheeseburgers. Not consuming stuff. Not becoming a consumer, buying into all of the advertising, saying you need this, you need this, you need this. You need this. No, you consume Jesus and he satisfies you. That's the kind of consumer he calls you to be. And so tonight, for those of you who know Christ, this is a time for us to examine our lives and recognize that he is the one who sustains us. And then we come and celebrate. We take communion and we realize that he's what fills us. Now, this is a good time for us to confess, to repent, say, God, I am focused on way too many things and I need to be focused on one thing. And for those of you who are not believers, the communion table is not for you, but what is for you is Christ. He says, take me in. Repent from your sin and turn to God and he will give you life as you believe in his son Jesus who died and rose on your behalf. So tonight, wherever you're at, this is a time for us to reflect in our relationship with Christ and then take communion or receive him as you sit in prayer. Let's pray together.